next, uh, Peter Weisberg is going to give us a presentation on British Heart Foundation funding options uh, from the British Heart Foundation uh, for this particular area. And Peter is the medical director of the BHM. Well, I'd like to begin by thanking the organizers for asking me to speak and by apologizing for the fact I've got to rush off. This is, a, this is something that cropped up literally in the last week and I have no option but to, uh, to move on very quickly at the end of this session, I'm afraid. Um, I'm going to not take a long time to talk and I'm going to echo some of the things that have already been said. Some of you in the room won't know anything about the British Heart Foundation, so I'm, I'm just going to begin there. Uh, we are a charity. All our money comes from public donations. We have no government money. We have no industry money. It's all uh, raised <clears throat> from the public. Uh, and uh, this was a UK uh, uh, clinical research collaboration analysis done 2009-10, an important year, and I'll tell you why in a minute, which looked at who funds cardiovascular research in the UK, uh, in academia, and this is the breakdown. So we fund over half of it, 51%, with the MRC, NIHR, Wellcome Trust, and others making up the other. Uh, and we're funding approximately, and it varies a little bit, I'll show you this in a minute, uh, uh, between 100 and 120 million uh, pounds worth of research every year. The reason I draw attention to this year is that, uh, as it shows on the next side, this is our, our funding since 2008-9 through to the current year. Um, the red is our non-research spend, so the total is the red and the blue, but from today's point of view, <clears throat> just want to talk about the blue. There has been a steady increase, but during the year when that census was taken, when we were funding 51%, it was one of our lowest years of research spend, and that was because we deliberately reduced our spend in the expectation that we were going to be hit hard by the recession. As it turned out, our fundraisers and others did extraordinarily well, and whilst we were hit, we weren't hit nearly as badly as we thought we might be, and we took the brakes off again the following year. Uh, in fact, by making a very major award, which put a uh, uh, £40 million back into the system. Uh, and so what you're seeing here is a gradual increase. And the reason why I put this arrow in, which looks as if I'm being over-optimistic, is simply because I know that the 13-14 figure is going to be here. And we have a new chief executive, new strategy now. We're going to uh, focus now on growing income for research. So I can be pretty confident that this uh, uh, amount is going to go up over the next few years, and therefore the British Heart Foundation is going to remain the predominant funder. Because if we were at 51% here, I suspect we're near a 70% now in the overall, because the other funders certainly didn't increase their funding in that way over that period of time. So uh, we're the major player in cardiovascular research. Uh, where do we spend our money? Well, most of it is in laboratory research, underpinning research. There's a reasonable amount in clinical research, relatively little in health services research because we leave that to the NIHR. Um, and that mirrors pretty much the other funders. MRC has a very, very similar profile. If you map NIHR on, onto that, it's reciprocal, so between us, we cover the patch pretty well. What do we spend the money on? Uh, quarter of it goes on people, the philosophy being nobody is going to get decent research out of the UK unless we have good people doing it. People uh, do research. Uh, you need good people, so we spend a lot of time and effort on people. Project grants, these are for three years. We have infrastructure awards. We have programs, which are five-year awards for much, uh, much uh, larger sums. As I said, most of it goes on laboratory research, but 30% on clinical and epidemiological trials and on other clinical studies. That is not a, um, a division or a categorization which is dictated by us. 
That is how it pans out after response mode and peer review. So we don't set out to say we're going to spend 60% of our budget on laboratory research. Basically, that reflects the number and the quality of the applications we receive as an organization. And uh, again, many people believe that the laboratory scientists are therefore favoured in some way when it comes to peer review. Absolutely not. When a clinical study comes in or a clinical research project comes in, it's reviewed by clinicians, by clinical researchers, and it's not competing with these for a limited pot of money. We're fortunate at the moment that the predominant limitation on our spend is not the money we have available, but the quality of the applications that are coming in. So at the moment, that is the way it is, and that's because that's the way we're asked to spend the money in terms of the number and the quality of the applications. The funding streams, I'll just go through briefly, because they all relate to um, uh, device research in some way or other. We have project grants, special project grants, and program grants. That This category is simply so that we can find something that doesn't fit a three-year project grant or a five-year program grant, so that we, we've got a funding mechanism for pretty, any, uh, pretty much anything that's thrown at us. New Horizons grants, I'm going to speak a bit more about in a minute, clinical grants and translational grants, which is where I'm going to end up with. So if we want to talk about project grants first, these are less, three or less years, 300K or less. If you look at the number of applications we've received over the last few years, it's remained relatively stable, gone down, perhaps uh, uh, went down that year. Don't quite know why, because we're normally up around this level here. But the important thing is that the, the number funded, uh, the proportion funded is about the same. It's about one in three chance of getting funded at a project grant level, which is pretty good for any research funding organization. Um, <clears throat> and the, I don't see that changing uh, as the time goes by. And the subject of that project can be anything from epidemiology to genetics to single molecules to genomics to devices, anything that, uh, uh, that's in the cardiovascular field or loosely allied to the cardiovascular field, I'd say. Program grants, five years, uh, uh, and, and uh, we don't have a limit on these, but they tend to pan out at somewhere between half a million and up to two million pound. These are for uh, senior investigators who've got a good track record. It might look as if this is the best way to get money out of us, apply for a program grant. But of course, what underlies this high success rate is a preliminary application stage where we weed out those that really don't stand a very good chance, and then we only review in a, in a serious way those that are highly competitive. And this is the, uh, a, a, a grant screen, the, the grant stream which, which tells the story. So New Horizon grants were, were introduced about 10 years ago to encourage scientists from outside traditional cardiovascular biology to engage in cardiovascular research and bring novel expertise to the field. Uh, cooperatives between biologists, engineers, physicists. Perfect for the device development uh, arena. And in our first two years, we funded none. And the reason for that was that we were prepared to fund for five years and a maximum of one million pound. And these were meant to be high-risk projects. But the nature, and somebody's talked about the conservatism in, in the system in our health service, we have conservatism in our science systems as well. Peer review is immensely conservative and risk-averse. And we would always end up with somebody saying, but this is a new horizon. We don't even know if it's going to work. This is, this is risky. And I'd say, that's why we've agreed to have this funding stream. But the committee still wouldn't take the risk and commit the money. Too much money for the risk. When we dropped the amount of money in the time, we started to get success. So we're now seeing some interesting grants coming through this process, which might then move on into program grants or could move into the I4I program or other programs available in the UK. Um, 
So what are we doing in the devices arena at the moment? I suspect many of you say we don't do anything. We're very bio, uh, basic bioscience. That's not true. At the moment, we've got 23 awards that are active, 10 fellowships, three New Horizons grants, eight project grants, two special project grants, and a total funding of 7.2 million committed in this area. And that's leaving out imaging technologies, for which we spend another 11 million pounds on, because I suspect you wouldn't consider imaging technology necessarily as device development. What do they look like? Well, this is just a, 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 a taster. Structure, function, and innovation of proteins involved in biofilm formation on cardiac devices. That's a fellowship. Development of a smart catheter for endovascular intervention. That's a fellowship. Engineering and isotropic polymer nanocomposites for improved prosthetic heart valve leaflets. That's a New Horizon grant involving engineers, chemists, as well as biologists. Design and preclinical feasibility assessment of an active Fontan active device. And that's a project grant. So at the moment, I'd say that there is plenty of opportunity through our existing grant schemes to ask the BHF for money to help the early stages of device development. But like uh, previous speakers, we've had to give some thought to this problem. But we all acknowledge we're great at invention, we're great at discovery, we're lousy at translating that through to clinical benefits. So we're good at this traditional bit, a grant going to a, uh, a university, and out comes some research at the end of it. Then it all falls apart. So what we're now setting up, and we're only in the very early stages at it, we're nowhere near as far advanced as the NIH. Of course, we don't have anything like the money of the NIH either, so we have to be rather selective and careful about what we fund. Um, but we are going to set up a new translation funding stream this year, uh, which will almost certainly require a new committee and a completely new set of people for the reasons we've already heard. Um, for early technology development, and we'll be partnering as much as we can with contract research organizations like MRCT or C, uh, CDRD, if you know those organizations. The idea being that these, uh, this, this funding will, will fill in what I think is a gap between the traditional funding that we provide and what Martin's talking about, um, and that is that if you're really going to have something that you can sell commercially, it's got to reach a point beyond the hypothesis, uh, uh, hypothesis development, uh, uh, hypothesis-driven research, sorry, which means it's got to be a little bit better formulated. You've got to have some of the I's dotted, some of the T's crossed before you can start talking to, to, to industry and get industry partners uh, interested in, in it. So we're setting this up at the moment. We'll be putting out information as the year goes on. We've just made an appointment for somebody to help us run this program. Uh, and will be, be more appearing on our website. But the nature of these grants will be we will still expect them to be uh, academically led. In other words, we're not opening the doors to industry alone to come to the BHF for this. But provided there's an academic applicant, we do, we're very happy to have an industry partner involved. In fact, we think it's probably desirable, if not essential. And as we've already heard, these things will be milestone-driven, assessed on the basis of unmet need and translational potential, not just I've got a great idea but I can't think of an application. You've got to know what the application is likely to be or know somebody who does know. And I spend an awful lot of my time seeing people who come to me at the BHF saying, I've got this fantastic gadget, but I don't know what to do with it. Uh, and Or it'll measure whatever, serum rhubarb, but nobody wants to measure serum rhubarb. It really is a mismatch between the, the technology development and, 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 and the needs. Uh, and it'll have a scientific, and it'll have industry review. So uh, I'm going to finish there by simply saying that uh, there are umpteen funding opportunities through the British Heart Foundation. The money is going to 
uh, grow, I think, for this, and we're becoming much more aware of that, our responsibility as a, as a charity. Not to make money for the charity, that's not our intention, but since we're receiving public money, it's our responsibility to make sure that when we spend that public money on research, the outputs and outcomes of that research are translated as quickly as possible to patient benefit. So that's why we're moving into this game. We're small, although we're large in terms of cardiovascular funding uh, uh, in the UK, we're very small in terms of the amount of money we actually have available to devote to this. We must do this in partnership. Uh, and we're very happy to do it in partnership and very happy to have discussions with others who, uh, who are interested in this. Uh, so to preempt John's question, yes, we were very happy to, uh, to see people who have an idea and they want to talk through, is there a mechanism or a way BHF can, can either wholly or part fund this with another partner? We're very happy to talk to you about that. Thanks very much. Okay, thank you very much. Very interesting. Any, any points? Yes, Julie.